Uh, hey everybody, welcome to the Lore Lodge official podcast. I'm Aiden Mattis. Uh, this is our, our co-host, editor, producer, jack of all trades, technical Aiden. Um, <laughs> and yep. uh, today we're going to be talking about Atlantis, Precursor Civilizations, Gobekli Tepe, and uh, a whole bunch of other fun stuff along those lines. Um, I made Aiden do some homework this week. Uh, Correct. So this this uh, this should be more of a conversation than we usually have, and less of a lecture. I, I would hope so. I would hope. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, to to start off, uh, a lot of people's first experience with Atlantis was probably the, it was DreamWorks, right? The DreamWorks movie from, like, early, early 2000s. Which one? The DreamWorks Atlantis movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but uh, I recall it existing. Yeah, exactly. If you're a little bit younger, you might remember the SpongeBob Atlantis episode, uh, which was a trip and a half. But... Um, you know, to, to kind of get things started, um, just re redo our, our usual introductions. Again, uh, I'm, I'm Aiden Mattis. I, I am a, a master's student at Bangor University. I am getting my PhD in medieval studies so that I can go on to teach younger people about the, the Middle Ages. Um, I'm also a lore and history man on the TikTok. Uh, and you can find me at the Aiden Mattis on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, basically every every different type of social media um and what about you aiden you want to want to introduce yourself again sure so my name is aiden thornberry i attended new york university for a uh, major in film and journalism with a minor in psych um i have written a script i'm currently working on selling i am also part-time working on a farm and i have a lot of interests that i just try to explore through creativity and I'm also vaguely dying right now, so excuse the way my voice sounds. Yeah, he has uh, probably not the Rona. Let's hope not. Probably I am fully vaccinated, so. Yeah. Um, we're, we're both fully vaccinated on this show. I got, I got all four vaccines. We actually got our vaccine yeah, I, together. Yeah. Um, I got... Because we do everything together. I got Pfizer and, and Moderna and also J&J and AstraZeneca. Yep. Um, I got one of each. I figured that was the best way to do it. There was one that was called PB and J, but that may have just been. <laughs> I got it from a guy. <laughs> I got it from a guy on uh, Market Street in Philly. It, that it may have just been. I got vaccinated under an underpass on 422. Uh, <laughs> which exit? Uh, trooper. I think you might be safe. Okay. Yeah. If you had said anything like near past Limerick, you would have had a problem. Oh yeah, that yeah. would have been an issue. Um, for the sake of the YouTube uh, algorithms and overlords, we are not giving vaccine advice. We're just making jokes. Um, I just want to make sure that we don't get taken down and demonetized because that would not be fun. But, yeah, uh, Atlantis, we should we should actually talk about what we're going to talk about. That's always a good plan. Um, so, again, the, the story of Atlantis for a lot of people is just a fun story of, you know, this ancient civilization that supposedly the Greeks believed existed and then it sank beneath the waves in this, you know, great, great tragedy and great disaster. It is essentially the Greek flood myth. Um, and as we know, many civilizations have flood myths. Almost all civilizations have flood myths. Um, this one in particular, however, intersects with some recent geologic finds that make it very interesting. And I'll just kind of go over the, the basic story here with Atlantis. Uh, essentially, it's Plato writes in Critias, Critias, I, I don't... You would know it better I have no idea how to pronounce Greek. 
uh, Critty S. Uh, it's a shame my friend Chris isn't here because he's he's yeah. I, I, I don't know how much Greek he knows, but he knows a good amount of Greek. Yeah, it would be better. Um, but anyway, uh, as well as Timaeus, he talks about it um, about how Atlantis was a city that um, is described by Solon of Athens, who was a great lawmaker, a great Athenian leader, one of the original um, you know not, not founders of the city, but kind of founding fathers of Athenian democracy, and. Solon went on a trip to Egypt, and the Egyptians told him about the story of a city called Atlantis, and how it was this great, great civilization with advanced technology. And again, we gotta be kind of loose with the terms here, because advanced technology to the Greeks would have been, you know, combustion engines. Yeah, well, we'll go with the idea of advanced technology. It was more advanced than what the the Athenians had. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, so they go. He goes to Egypt, and they tell him of the city of Atlantis and how it had all this advanced technology. And uh, because they did not wear their advancement, or did, what was the exact terminology used? I don't recall. Uh, it was something along the lines of they didn't wear their success with moderation. Um, mm-hmm. The universe struck them down and sunk them beneath the waves. And when Solon asked when this happened, the Egyptians told him nine thousand years ago. And this was. Uh, in about 600 BC. So 9,000 years before 600 BC would be about 11,600 years ago. Yep. And 11,600 years ago, it just turns out, was the end of a period known as the Younger Dryas, where the Earth experienced cataclysmic glacial meltdowns and the sea level rose considerably and most likely buried a lot of coastal civilizations and riverside civilizations, which would at the time probably have been almost everything and then uh, a few other interesting things pop up but what's really incredible about that is that writing in the 400s BC Plato successfully pinned almost the exact date of the sinking of Atlantis as the end of the Younger Dryas period Mm. so either he was the best bullshitter to ever bullshit or Solon and Plato and maybe even the Egyptians actually knew something about this flood, which just happens to be mentioned in Genesis and in Gilgamesh and in uh, pretty much everything. I mean, depending on how you look at even the prophecy of Ragnarok in Norse mythology, the the world is the great fire that Sorter sets at the end of Ragnarok is extinguished by a flood. Mm. Um it really doesn't matter where you look. Uh, there's a flood. And, um... Oh, you know what? What? Just thinking about some of the Graham Hancock you had me listen to. The great, love Graham Hancock. The great fire being extinguished by a flood, considering his theory is based on the idea that a large comet or broken up comet was what caused it. Mm-hmm. That comet you, impact could have caused... It could have been the fire. Do you want to explain the comet? You probably know it better yeah, go than for I do. It. All right, so essentially, I'll correct you if I have to. All right, so essentially, uh, from everything that all the research I did, which was very minimal in comparison to the amount that he has done himself, um, essentially, there's evidence under the ice in Greenland, which is kind of the big um, place in which they're founding this theory. Essentially, there were ideas that this theory existed prior to, but this was the first really big founding of evidence that has supported it and kind of caused the scientific community to give it some validity. And essentially, the idea is that uh, just prior to this time of the Younger Dryas, a 
large a large amount of iron and other like metallic elements are found within the soil layers of around what is it, 1140 uh, about 12,800 years 12,800 years ago. Yeah. So it it was I it was suspected i guess essentially you could say that a large comet and or a broken up comet impacted with the earth and then caused this period called the younger dryas at least eight pieces of the comet made contact with the earth yes yeah and so this uh finding under the greenland ice sheet is a massive crater that is essentially determined to have been created around that period of time so Mm -hmm. it gives a lot of credence to this theory of I will say geologists do disagree on exactly when the comet hit. Yeah. Some date it as far back as 70,000 years. Some mm. date it as recently as 11,000 years. But. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So essentially this is, this is the, the genesis of the theory of, well, not necessarily the theory of the Younger Dryas, but kind of the, I don't know, what would you signify that as? How would you define that? What do you mean? I mean, because the Younger Dryas wasn't really... It's, 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 it's a geologic time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's not, I was going to say, it's not a theory. Yeah, no, it's just a time period, but the, uh, yeah. it's, it's the effects of the Younger Dryas, yeah. the effects they had on civilization as a whole, mm. and kind of where it fits in. And if you, if you listen, if you read exactly what Plato <laughs> says, what he's talking about is how Atlantis was very advanced, and they became very strong, very powerful. They had the ability to project power across mm. the world. Um, when we say the world, we're probably talking about the Mediterranean. Um, But they had the ability to project power across the world. And as a result, uh, whether it's the gods or the universe, however you want to refer to it, they were punished with this flood. And that sounds extraordinarily familiar to the book of Genesis Mm. and the way the flood is described there. Albeit earlier in Hebrew, but... You know, I'll, I'll read that. <clears throat> Let's see if I can actually find exactly where I wanted to be. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every thought imagine, and that every imagination of the thoughts in his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on this earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. This comes directly after we learn about the mighty men born of the unions of the sons of God and the daughters of men, um, who are these very powerful individuals. And if you look at it, it kind of would make sense that who he, who Moses could have been talking about when he, when Exodus was, not Exodus, when Genesis was written, was the Nephilim and Atlantis and all of that. I'm not saying that they're all exactly the same thing. It's just shocking how those two stories, the reasoning behind the fall of the the civilization before the flood, the antediluvian civilization or civilizations, is the same. Mm. It is, in both cases, hubris and wickedness and all of that, um, you know, just society being wrong, society being evil, and God saying, you know, all right, to hell with it, let's let's try this again, basically. And aside from just Atlantis being an interesting concept in terms of Plato getting it right with the time scale, I 
immediately after this, we get the the foundation of Gebekli Tepe. And Gebekli Tepe is a megalithic site in Turkey. Um, we're not entirely sure what it was used for, but it, it you know, there's evidence of uh, brewing. There's evidence of people living there, of worship. Basically, it it is a it appears to be a town, mm. and it springs up eleven thousand six hundred years ago, which is seven thousand years before Samaria, which is what we typically think of as the first civilization which was in the uh, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates in, in Mesopotamia. Um, so 7,000 years before Samaria, back when humanity's, you know, the, the extent of our agriculture was maybe a small field of berries here mm. and there. Um, in the middle of the Anatolian plains, you have a megalithic site with ton stone stone building blocks weighing up to 50 tons that just appears at 11,600. Nothing was built before it, and nothing was really built after it in that area for thousands of years. And the people in that area, as far as we know, were using stone tools. They were they were Neolithic people, and they were hunter-gatherers, and they might have, you know, huts and yurts made of animal skins and wood, but they did not have stone buildings. So what it appears to be when you look at Gobekli Tepe and the timing of Atlantis sinking, you got to remember Atlantis is supposedly a city by the sea or in the sea, an island. The rational explanation is that survivors of Atlantis, whether they be people who were in Atlantis and escaped on boats or people who were a colony or, um, you know, if you want to get really conspiratorial about it and look into some of the other things we've talked about on this channel like pocket dimensions and fairy mounds and things like that maybe people who knew how to use them to transfer themselves across the world um what it appears to be is that some people from this precursor antediluvian civilization made their way to anatolia built gobekli tepe and then for whatever reason mm. be it that the population wasn't high enough to sustain themselves or there was warring with the various hunter-gatherer peoples, um, they they failed to take root. And that would probably, in that case, be the last gasp of whatever this, this civilization was. And what seems likely, based on some of the other things we know, um, for example, that you know the, the Americas appear to only have been inhabited for the last 13,000 years, North America at least, mm. um, but we've found human artifacts in the Americas that are much older than that. So who who was populating America before what we now know as Native Americans, First Nations peoples? Was it a precursor civilization? Is that why we have all of these megalithic structures that can't possibly have been built with the technology of the time that we, we currently arguably don't have the technology to fuse stone the way they did? Mm -hmm. Um you know what there there are so many possibilities to it but the the definitely the strangest one is is that one connection between or not that one connection but that that series of events that you have Atlantis you have the younger Dryas period this comet hits the earth we have massive flooding Atlantis supposedly falls in 11 six in 11600 Gebekli Tepe is built in 11600 there's nothing around it 
and then we don't see civilization again for 7,000 years until about 4,500 BC with the, the Sumerians. Um, and then what do you get with the Sumerians? Well, you get some of the first written word in, that we know of in human history. We get the first literature in human history, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh, in which Gilgamesh at one point travels west out of or out of Sumeria um, to go meet Utnapishtim to find the, you know, the, the secret to everlasting life. And Utnapishtim, who lives across the Sea of Death to the west of Mesopotamia, survived the Great Flood. It is uncanny, <laughs> considering that a lot of these stories come from areas that are not, you know, these aren't all Indo-European. Mm. We're not seeing, in a lot of these cases, like with Celtic and Norse and Greek mythology, these are all Indo-European. But the Greeks are Indo-European, the Sumerians probably weren't. So there's there's some very interesting tie-ins here and it just makes you know that it's getting less and less questionable of you know was there a flood it's not even really when was there a flood it's now what was there before the flood yeah and the answer seems to be a civilization that was capable of creating megalithic structures the likes of which we have not seen since so what could possibly have happened were these people um were they human you know is is the reason that Atlant that not Atlantis, but that Gebekli Tepe, whoever inhabited it, was it that it was such a small population of these exceptional men that we hear about in in the Bible? Like was Atlantis made up of Nephilim? Um, you know, was the reason that Gebekli Tepe went into decline that there were only a few dozen survivors, and they mixed in with the local population, and over time the genes just spread out too much, and they just became normal people again. You know, what, what could possibly have happened to get us to this point where it, we lost for 7,000 years the ability to even have sustained settlements? What do you think? It's a great question. I mean, now, just to give context, because I don't think we have given it. We mentioned... The, the catalyst to the Younger Dryas, but I, I, for those watching, what exactly was the Younger Dryas? I mean, very simplistically, it was a period where the Earth's temperature warmed drastically over a thousand years. Mm -hmm. um, it was the end of the last ice age, the, the end of the Pleistocene. Um, you know, the, the period we're in right now is the Holocene, and that begins about 10,000 BC, um, 10,000 years ago. So, 10, 12,000 years ago. Um, and that's the, the Holocene period that is what we live in now. Prior to that, you have the Younger Dryas, and then before that, you have the Pleistocene. Um, Pleistocene being the last Ice Age. So, basically, you went from the Earth being very, very cold, uh, lots and lots of large mammals, humans likely being unable, in many cases, to put together sustained agriculture just because of how harsh the climate was. Um, At least anywhere away from the equator. Anywhere away from the equator. And then after the Younger Dryas, we have the the sea levels rise, but the Earth also gets considerably warmer, um, which allows for humans to have agriculture in more places, which expands the kind of the, the those golden zones around the equator to you know up into southern Europe and down to where the Sahara 
kind of begins. Mm. Um, so yeah, basically you you had a massive shift from the the livable world, the settleable world being, you know, maybe from I'm trying to think. I don't know my latitudes very well, but from you know France mm. to to kind of like uh, I guess the Congo mm. in terms of latitude. Yeah, you, you have it expand from that from basically a belt within a few thousand miles of um, the the center of the, the of the equator. You have it expand from that to being almost the entire planet. Mm. You know, you can, you can farm pretty much up until you get into the Arctic Circle. Mm. Uh, and there are periods of human history after the Younger Dryas where it did get even warmer. Yeah. People like to think that right now we're in this extreme period of global warming, um, but it, we had similar temperatures in the medieval climactic optimum in Europe where you could grow non-hybrid grapes in Sweden mm. around the year 1000 AD, you, you know, which you can't do today. Yeah. You can you cannot do that today. Uh, similarly, during the the height of the Roman Empire, mm. it was it was the same kind of thing. It was very hot, and what we often see, um, especially in European history, because Europe's just had some of the highest population density of the entire world mm. um, throughout history. What and some of the most varying climate because of where it is. With the climactic optimums, what you see is, uh, for example, in at the at around the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Around the year 400, it started to get cold, mm. and it got really cold. And that drove that combined with a lot of war and the the famine caused by it being so cold, drove a lot of German people, the Germanic people, south and west. And that's kind of what was one of the things that caused the fall of the Roman Empire was they had all this internal turmoil, and they were having problems with famine and inflation and all that. And then just the pressure of all this Germanic migration just crushed the empire. So it kept getting colder, and then it, it steadied out around 500, and it stayed cold until about the 800s. Mm. And in the 800s, it started to warm back up. And then around 1000 AD, you hit the medieval climactic optimum, and it is about the warmest it's been in 1,000 years. Mm. The population booms. Now, just for some context, what exactly was the temperature around that time? Uh, during the Hundred Years' War, there was a uh, the Battle of, I think, Poitiers. It was 96 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's about what latitude? That's in northern France. Okay. Um, so, it was hot. That's yeah. also the, you know... And what time of year was that, Dino? But that's, that's also the 1300s. Um, yeah. But the thirteen that wasn't, that wasn't too long before the Little Ice Age. Exactly. Right? Um, so it's what we can kind of expect is that in in turn it was probably about what it is now. Okay. Um, the, the climate was probably similar to the climate we have now in mm -hmm. in the High Middle Ages, and then after the High Middle Ages, we hit the Little Ice Age. We get the Black Plague. We get famine all over the place. The population of Europe declines by thirty three to fifty percent, depending on where you are. Um, you know, it's just because previously the population had quadrupled between 800 and 1000, the European population quadrupled, which is insane in, in any population. It's only really matched by what's happened over the last 150 years after the industrial revolution. Um, 
and then you hit the the black plague the little ice age it gets colder people die and you, you get set back a bunch so, um, so give us give us an idea. So, essentially, for anybody who's just joining us now, because I'm seeing some people in chat are saying, so we are talking about the Younger Dryas, its its catalyst and kind of its effects on prehistoric societies and civilizations, and how it has influenced our perceptions of what human history was, is, and you know, in terms will be in mm -hmm. the sense of what we're going to uncover in the future that might change our understanding and perception about how human civilization actually developed throughout the course of planetary history. Yep. So what was the, so we know that the Younger Dryas was the, the period of global warming essentially right after, what was that ice age called? That was the Pleistocene period. Okay. Yeah. Is, is there like a layman's term for that ice age? The ice age. The ice age. Okay. So that that, is, that was the big one. Got it. So that's the ice age that you know when when people call talk about the ice age or whatever. That is that's the one they're was. talking about. Got it. So what was before the ice age? How long was the Pleistocene era? You're getting deep into geology, which is not my chosen field. Um, I can give a little bit of context just because I was wa I was watching some uh, Graham Hancock. So from what from what I, I just heard recently, it was essentially along the lines of um, in that period of time of the Younger Dryas, I think it was the Younger Dryas, that um, the land bridge between uh, current modern Russia and Alaska was. Mm -hmm. The so Bering Strait. Yeah, so apparently that existed about 170 to 120, or it might have been 140, 140 to 120,000 years ago. So... That was the last time supposedly that existed, and it's the Pliocene that preceded the Pleistocene. Got it. And so, when did the Pliocene go up until? Uh, the Pliocene was about until two point five million years ago. Okay, and then that ended about when? Eleven thousand seven hundred years ago. Okay, so the the Pleistocene ended eleven thousand seven hundred years ago. Got it. And that's the, where the younger dries. Yes. So you know, different theories or whatever. Um, but essentially... Chronologically, so, these periods get much shorter over time, too. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. You're, you're talking, like, millions and millions and millions of, down to, like, a couple million years down to 10,000 Which years. Which that in and of itself is interesting. Well, a lot of it's put in, in the perspective of humans. No, for sure, but just the, the fact that, like, there were long-term climatary and geological eras mm -hmm. and as you approach the modern age those eras seem to get shorter and shorter so i, I and obviously a large portion of that is because we don't have as much detail and information further back mm -hmm. so you know we, we can't say exactly the you know the fine differences in between like you know to, to put it simply you and i are not geologists correct yeah yeah we, we are <laughs> i am very much out of my own depth i'm a historian moment. yes i i i do this so, yeah, but um, uh, no, it's so yeah. The the Pleistocene is the Ice Age we talk about. That's the period of giant mammals, woolly mammoths, things yes. like that. And then the Younger Dryas is kind of that in between period where everything gets a lot warmer. And then the Holocene is where we currently live. That's where you see the dawn of human civilization. Mm -hmm. Human beings, of course, having existed during the Pleistocene. Mm -hmm. um, you know, up to forty thousand years ago, we start to see large populations of Homo sapiens entering Europe. Um, but 10,000 years ago is where we start to see human 
the beginnings of human civilization, of settled society, but even then it's still just small villages. Yeah. Except for Gobekli Tepe. Well, and then, <laughs> so something that uh, Graham Hancock was talking about in the thing I was watching is that in <coughs> in Brazil, in the, in the Amazon, apparently there were vast cities that once existed that when smallpox was introduced in the 1500s kind of wiped everything mm -hmm. out and we're only kind of really rediscovering that these things exist because the forest is being you know torn down yeah. for farming and things like that and we're finding evidence of these massive civilizations that existed that outsized a lot of european cities at the time mm -hmm. and you know there's evidence of north american uh you know, inhabitants uh, that were supposed or that were there long before they were supposed to be there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's evidence of humans in North America 40, 50,000 years ago. Yeah. 30,000 years ago for sure. Yeah. And then something happened. I cannot for the life of me remember what the civilization was called. What, not civilization, but what the, the culture was called. I feel like it was, I know it starts with a C. Um, Look it up. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, you know, what, what we have accepted now is that the people we know as Native American today arrived around 13,000 years ago mm. um, or 13,000 BC. I can't remember exactly which one it is off the top of my head right now. Again, I'm a medieval historian, um, but th there was a there appears to have been a a period where there were people in the continental what is the United States and Canada and Mexico. And then they disappeared. Mm -hmm. They were gone. Um, and w when do they disappear? Well, they weren't there at the end of the Younger Dryas. So was it the Younger Dryas that caused them to leave? Did they die out? Did you know what what happened? We don't we don't know. What we know is after the Younger Dryas, there were people there, and they may have been sufficient, like seriously technologically disadvantaged compared to the previous ones. Um, and, you know, there's there's. What this all kind of, it's it's how it all ties together that fascinates me. That we have Atlantis, that we have Gebekli Tepe, that we have the Epic of Gilgamesh, that we have, um, you know, the, the Nephilim in the Bible, and just everywhere, all of these things that tie in to a race of people who were technologically advanced, who were smarter, who were better, and then they got wiped out by a natural disaster. And it took us years to get back to it. And a lot of people say aliens. I don't think it's aliens. I, I am hardcore on the train that this was not aliens. Um, and I, a lot of people will look at some of the, the old descriptions of, you know, spacecraft and things like that in, in Mayan... Um, architecture and art and say oh well that, that's clearly a spaceman but like why does the spaceman look exactly how a spaceman in 1969 looked what why why do we think that the my like it, it just it perplexes me because it with the aliens theory it seems to be that people want to believe it was aliens and they will seek to find anything they can i think it's much more likely if you look at the descriptions of for example angels as golden rotating wheels full of eyes that that if you if you said hey draw me glowing rotating wheels full of eyes you'd probably get something that looks like a ufo 
Um, I think that's more likely that we're dealing with something multidimensional than we're dealing with something from outer space. There's also the Fermi paradox. You know, if if basically there's the Fermi equation, which is that it, I forget the exact numbers involved, but basically there's this many planets and this many star systems and this many galaxies throughout the universe. This many of them could sustain life. They've been around this long. Therefore, if alien life existed, it would have contacted us or we would have contacted it. See, here's my thing. is I, I have a tendency to disagree because I've heard that argument before and I have a tendency to disagree with it because it's assuming that there's a finite number and our understanding of the universe is that not only is it expanding, but it's infinite. And obviously there's, you know... Well, that's the thing, is that it's at least that many. But here's my thing, is that it's it's difficult for me to agree with the assumption that, A, people would want to contact us, B, when you think about the human history, and not not even necessarily the human history, but Earth's history, the planetary history... We've gone through how many mass extinctions? Five now? We're in the sixth? Currently? Of humans or the uh, planet? The planet. Yeah, five or six. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're in, the, we're in the sixth. Imagine a planet that has not had any mass extinctions. They've had no major cataclysmic events. Obviously, this is, you know, theoretical at its core. Mm-hmm. But imagine how much more advanced they could be but the thing is, is that they could be so far away that even if they were so advanced to the point of having a civilization for billions of years, assuming the best case scenario, there's no way that we could know that they would even ever be able to find a way to get here within any period of time that would be livable or understandable. Well, that's, that's the idea behind Fermi's equation is that he took that into account. You know, how far yeah. away would they need to be? How many planets... Point is, it just se- it seems even what you just said. Hmm. If we haven't been contacted yet, it's probably because either a we're alone or b they're too far away, yeah. which means it couldn't have been aliens that built yeah. Quebecly Tepe. Exactly. exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm only, I'm yeah. only yeah, I'm only saying that you know I, I disagree with the idea that we would have had contact by now because right, right. it, I think that's a bit of an, uh, a, a stretch to say the least. Fair enough. Fair by the enough. way, really quickly before we uh, continue on, I do want to. Give two quick shout-outs. Uh, one for Derek Herman for super chatting four ninety nine. Oh, thank, thank you, you very Derek. much, Derek. And was then there a we, question to it? Or no, it, just, was, oh, it, it was just a that super, was just okay. a super chat. But there was a five dollar super chat from Commander Canada two one three. That was a question. My question to you is: Do we want to start answering questions now, even if let's, they are super chats, or do we want to hold those? Let, off? Let's hold it until eight. Okay, so hold it until just eight. so you guys know, we do start taking questions at eight for the last half hour of the show. Super chats get priority. So, Commander Canada 213, you will, you be, will the be the first, first question. question. So, I will keep that up there, and we will start taking those in about 20 minutes. But anyway, let's continue. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so the, what, what you're going to hear for probably the next 20 minutes is going to be a lot of... How do I put this? Um, conjecture. And a lot of it has to do with the plot of a film that I wrote that has not yet sold, but has to do with the the Younger Dryas period and kind of what sort of technologies we'd be looking at, you know, because from what we can tell, it doesn't seem like we're looking at something that was a spacefaring civilization. 
We're not looking at something that was, you know, doing Elon Musk style stuff. Where when we say advanced, they had it's not that they had better or worse technology. It seems like they had different technology. Mm. Uh because and the one that gets me is how'd they get from if you if you look at where Atlantis where uh, so if Plato got the time frame of the sinking of Atlantis right, there's a good chance he got the location of Atlantis right as well, which is out past the Pillars of Heracles, hmm. which is right just into the Atlantic Ocean past Gibraltar. I, too, am dying. Um, <laughs> at least we're dying together. Yeah. As it was meant to be. Always. Uh, so if that's where Atlantis was, and it sank... How did they get from there to the center of Anatolia? Turkey, for, for those of you who don't know what Anatolia is. My suggestion has been that they went through the Earth. Or through another dimension. Explain. Because the... So... As I said about the Tua de Danan, um, I think that they come from, I think they're Nephilim. Mm. Um, I think many things are Nephilim. Uh, it's it's getting to a point where if I can't explain something rationally, I've just started saying it's Nephilim. So kind of like the ancient aliens guy, instead of your d default being Nephilim. aliens, it's just um, yeah. Nephilim. But I, so let's, let's say the technology they had was rather... That, that the reason we don't find evidence of cars and planes and boats and things like that from that time period is that they didn't need to use those things to travel great distances. That if they wanted to travel from Iberia to Anatolia, they could do it by accessing whatever the other dimension is that we look at. Uh, whatever kind of parallel dimension there is that exists alongside this one that the Tua de Danan used to travel between and that um, in, you know, Judeo-Christian uh, lore, you know, there's angels are all around us, but we can't see them. Is it because they're invisible to us or is it because they're in a dimension that exists side by side with ours? You know, in, in Norse mythology, you've got how uh, Jotunheim and Midgard have places where it's possible they believed they intersected so that they were two different realms, two different dimensions, but you could be in both at once. You know, is it possible that these ancient people mastered a way to build gateways where they had the technology that we no longer have to go through a gate in Gibraltar and come out a gate in Anatolia? Um... You know, and and obviously there's so much there to deconstruct, to unpack about how that would even be possible, if it would be possible. But again, technology that is sufficiently advanced would appear as magic to those who do not have it. Philip mm -hmm. K. Dick. Um, this so, would be a good opportunity for us to try and find a physicist that we could get on the show yeah. to try and help break down this theory in the sense of deciding whether or not it's even theoretically possible in the realm of theoretical physicists. Yeah, well, I mean, theoretical physicists are suggesting that there is a parallel dimension in which time moves backwards, and they've detected this because of particles having um, the wrong redshift. 
basically having blue shift. Mm-hmm. And so the particles appear to be moving backwards in time. And for people who don't innately know what that is, that breaks down uh, atoms it, yeah. beyond their um, beyond the normal levels in which people look at them, it, all the way down to the quarks. And blue shifts and red shifts are elements of quarks and how they... Yeah, it's and it's essentially on on the light spectrum. If something is heading towards you, it appears more red. If it's heading away from you, it appears more blue. Is mm-hmm. the, the simple terminology of it. Um, and usually, you can't detect that. Mm-hmm. But with very very precise instruments, you can. And they claim that they have detected quarks and particles moving the wrong way in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow, I mean, again, I I have no idea what is going on with that. I am not a physicist. But my point is that it's it's not outside the realm of possibility. And, you know, getting back into kind of where where I know out with it in my field, it, it is not accepted by academics and historians that Atlantis existed. It is not accepted that uh, Gebekli Tepe was the creation of a, a surviving group of people from a precursor civilization. And whether we're talking about a precursor race that was more advanced than humans, or we're talking about Nephilim, or we're talking about humans who were gifted some sort of technology by a divine presence, it doesn't matter. Mainstream scholarly discussion does not center around this. They, it will get you laughed out of academic circles to bring it up. And I think that's weird, because there is no mainstream explanation for Gobekli Tepe. If Gobekli Tepe was 4,000 years later we might be able to make an argument that, oh, maybe we're wrong about Sumer. But we're talking about 7,000 years. Mm. And we're talking about something that appeared directly after the, the Younger Dryas, directly after the fall of Atlantis. You know, th- things that just, th- there's there's a point at which, like, I, I can accept maybe two or three coincidences. We're, we're not talking about coincidences at this point. We're talking about things that just correlate. You know, it's it's too close. It is too close to have, you know, all of these different stories that interweave into one narrative that actually makes sense. Because if you look at Gobekli Tepe, it doesn't make sense. If you look at Atlantis, it doesn't make sense. If you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh, it doesn't make sense. If you look at Noah's Ark, it doesn't make sense. Um, if you look at the the story of the Tuatha in Ireland, it doesn't make sense. Ragnarok doesn't make sense. Take them all apart. They have no feasible, rational explanation for any of them happening. But if you put them all together, you actually kind of get a puzzle that fits together. Mm. If you, you know, if you take a, a comet crashing into the Earth, setting the world on fire, essentially, um, and that being preceded by, succeeded by a flood, which left only a few humans alive who in many cases were being guided by groups of surviving Nephilim who were elevated in human culture to the status of gods. That could explain it. That could explain a lot of this. If Atlantis was the... If, you know, the the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, bore children with them, it would make sense that those that you would have in some cases, uh, those those people would take command of civilizations and lead them against one another. 
But it would also make sense that they might go, you know what, this is, we don't want to live with these people. They're below us. They're beneath us. We want to go have our own place and that they would go and build their own city from whence they could project power, install leaders over men, and then eventually this would be destroyed by the flood and its survivors would become what we know today as, you know, gods and elves and all of those things in mythology and in culture. So it, it, the, the, di- the more you dig into the Nephilim theory the more it starts to make sense, in my opinion. Mm. The more it becomes, you know, something that we should be investigating rather than discounting. And rather than trying to disprove, we should be trying to prove it. But instead, it seems that governments and uh, academia and religious leaders don't want that. And, and I have to wonder why. why. Why do institutions fight so hard to stop us from understanding like, what, what is it about, you know, if, if we were to completely excavate Gebekli Tepe and find a very obvious ceremonial portal, like we found in, you know, the, the American Southwest and in Mexico, there are these, these basically giant doorways in stone that have, like, a keyhole in the center, basically, is what it looks like. It looks like it's been eroded for thousands of years, but what we're, we'll find doorways in stone that are far too big for human beings to use, um, that we can't see any way to open them. They go directly into rock, and there's no explanation for why they're, why they're there. All we have is, oh, they must have been part of some ancient religious practice, and we leave it at that. Hmm. Like, yeah, I get it. There's no, there's no evidence to go off of after that. There's no way to prove it. But instead of looking at every single culture on Earth in a lens of, like, you know, well, we have the Native Americans, and we have the Europeans, and we have the, you know... The, the Asians and they all did the different what if we look at it and we say hmm what are the cultural similarities what do we all have in common what did our ancestors know that we don't what was lost in that period where we didn't know how to write like what what happened um, but we won't do it and, and but, but that's my question is say we do excavate Gebekli Tepe Say we find that ceremonial doorway. What happens that they are so afraid of? Like, you know, because can you imagine the sheer significance of finding a technology that allows us to travel between distances of thousands and thousands of miles in the blink of an eye without using any energy simply by accessing a, a secondary dimension by, by creating a wrinkle in space time hmm. which is likely if you think about it what we're looking at here and we know that you can warp space time or we theorize that you can warp space time yeah hasn't, um, hasn't yet been physically done yeah but we we theoretically believe you can do it it's been in all sorts of science fiction so if and you can are, do it in space, you yeah, can probably also do it on Earth. Th- there are some some tangible pieces of evidence within the Large Hadron Collider tests that mm-hmm. they've done with particle acceleration that suggest that essentially space-time warping is possible. And that there are some other theories from people like Stephen Hawking and things like that where, you know, in... <coughs> sorry in his analysis and, you know, lifelong study of black holes and things like that, you know, space-time warping is essentially what exists around the singularity of a black hole 
and that has been you know essentially the moment that we understood and found the event horizon of a black hole and why it was appearing the way it did in images that was the first real concrete signification of like okay this is a warping of space-time due to just pure gravity it exists it's just a matter of how else can it be done exactly so if we look at it, that spot on like i'm <laughs> i'm glad you said all that because that's way more science than i would ever have been able to put into one sentence but yeah what I mean, the implication of being able to warp space-time on Earth without causing some sort of massive, you know, disaster, just being able to walk through a wall in Turkey and be in Spain, it would cut emissions by... There would be no need for air travel ever again. There'd no, there wouldn't be any need for any form of travel other than if you went to walk well, down the street. Yeah, going town to town. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, it probably wouldn't put the automobile industry completely out of business, but it would, you know, is, is that what it is? Are we, is the oil industry so threatened by the possibility that we might, in a few thousand years, learn how to warp space-time on Earth that we're currently rejecting that science? No, here, here, here's a bigger question in my mind. So let's, I like to side on the potential of assuming ignorance rather than assuming knowledge and malintent. With individuals, I would agree when it comes to the government and the oil industry. <laughs> I think, but I, you know, a, a good... Like, for example, why, you know, but, but I, I understand where you're coming from, but think, mm. think about this. Um, the, the green energy lobby, the environmentalists yeah. and everything. Um, you know, a Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for example, very pro-Green New Deal, wants to end climate change, thinks that if we don't all stop eating meat in the next seven minutes, then the entire Earth will combust into a ball of flames. Um, Anti-nuclear energy. Yep. Even, even though, with what we have theorized and are simply working on getting to work, there's not enough funding behind it, basically. Mm -hmm. Thorium salt reactors can produce massive amounts of energy with almost no waste, and they can do it extremely efficiently in small reactors. There is no reason not to research that, and, and, and they can't be weaponized. And the safety of reactor technology has vastly improved yeah. over the past half a century. Yeah, So, but instead, they're, they're pushing us, you know, it's basically a battle between the oil industry and all the, the green climate people who are like, the oil industry is saying, oh, no, we, we don't need to eat off of oil. In fact, we just found more. Like, mm. we learned how to synthesize it. Carbon emissions are not a problem. We don't need to worry about that. And then the green industry, which is like, no, we need to have windmills literally everywhere. You should have them on your shoulders. Like, you know, we need to, we need to cut down swaths of forest to replace it with solar farms to save the environment. Um. So both sides should arguably be looking at nuclear energy and going, if if what we're looking at here is not malice, hmm. it's too obvious to be ignorance. I mean, uh, you. It's, well, but that's if somebody's is... holding up a sign to you mm -hmm. that says one plus one equals two, mm -hmm. and you look at it and you go, oh, I don't know, like, well, are we sure that one of those is a one? Are you ignorant? 
or, or are you missing the point on purpose? I think there's I think there's an interesting delineation that you have to make there, and this is this is where my interest in psychology comes in. The, you know, people are very susceptible to confirmation bias, and not only that, but it's also along the lines of you know, the confirmation bias can come into effect immediately in the sense of a lot of people could look at that sign and read one plus and just stop reading because they're like, no, I know where you're going with this. I don't believe that. I'm not even going to pay attention to the rest of it. It happens all the time on so many different areas. So like they're definitely, I'm not dismissing the idea of This malice. is why the Nephilim built Atlantis. They didn't want to deal with this conversation. They I were wish like I one plus one equals two, man. Just, I just get through your head. wish I could join them because- I they, don't think so. They're all dead. Yeah, but- Well, do we know that? The Windy Boys. <laughs> but, I mean, well, actually, this is an interesting idea, and this is something we could talk about another time if we want to go in term, you know, in a longer conversation about it. But did, did I just talk about nuclear energy and Wendigos in a succinct and concise manner? Yes, I did. You did. I'm very I'm, proud of you. I am quite a man. You are a, a Renaissance specimen. man. Some may say yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, was that was that me making a very poor attempt at making a medieval history? Yes, it, it wasn't joke? poor. It was a good joke. It was a good joke. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, anyway, nonetheless, you know, we're we're making the assumption that the Nephilim are totally gone, just based off of you know these stories of history. But we know that people, you know, those in power distort reality for their own gain. Plenty. There's no reason we can't believe that. Especially Barack Obama is a Nephilim. See, okay. <laughs> Did you hear that? So we just got a notification of another subscriber, and that happened literally right after you said that in these headphones. So that was fantastic. Anyway, but um, I mean, think about it. You know, we've discussed those pocket dimension things, and specifically in terms of North, Norse mythology of people going into these different, uh, you know, realms. Celtic mythology. Celtic mythology, sorry. Um, <coughs> Who's to say that just because something says something in terms of... <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> that who's to say that that is definitively what happened, especially considering the fact that a lot of the things in, in terms of historical evidence outside of myth were, used to claim that history started at X way after the Younger Dryas. And yeah. now, given all of this new information that we're finding, we're realizing that, no, that's probably not the case. Yep. So, just in a tangential idea or mentality, who's to say that the Nephilim are totally gone if they exist? Dun, dun, dun. We're going to find them. Yeah. Let's oh, well, it. I mean, it's it's probably worth mentioning now, now Yes. we should uh, talk about in uh, not next weekend, but the following. Uh, we are going to be heading up to the Adirondacks to... I told you about this. I thought it was late August. No, it's early August. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's the date? Uh, 30th of July through the 1st of August. Okay. Should yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you can't, I can go. I just will have nobody to film. Which I know, I, I, but I want to go. Okay. Point is, <laughs> um, how would it be late August? I'm going to Wales. Um, I know. I'm, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, for those of you that uh, know us from TikTok, uh, you probably also know a girl named Destiny. I think her, her she goes by Destiny Renee. Um, she has she works at a cabin uh, at a farm up in the Adirondacks, and she has been posting about some weird supernatural occurrences, uh, some knocking on the door that happens at 11 p.m. every night, some screams and weird calls from the forest late at night, uh, tapping on the windows, other such things, strange things like appearing on her front porch. Uh, you know, stuff that implies something's out there with her. 
Uh, she was a little freaked out by it. It seems like she's come to grips with it, but I reached out and said, hey, uh, you know, we, we would love to come up and kind of document some of this and see if maybe it's, you know, it, or are you actually dealing with something? Um, and that way she can not have to worry about it as much. We can go up and we can set up our recording equipment and just be, you know, prepared to kind of you know, document this, this occurrence should it actually happen. So we're going to be doing up to do that in about two weeks. Um, a lot of it's going to be probably on TikTok, just from us re- recording stuff while we're there. But then also we're going to do some longer footage for YouTube and, you know, hopefully get get some confirmation of some stuff. If it is a fleshy boy, the we're going to we violate are, it. The, yes. Sexually. Uh, We're going to call that one guy from TikTok who wants to sexually violate the... uh... Yeah. So aside from bringing what we plan to bring, plus a blue snow shovel... (laughs) Yeah, Chad, if if you're out there, you want to come (laughs) on. Should we consider... We will discuss exact supplies off the air in... But I'm I'm considering... (laughs) I'm considering... Should we create our own version of something that Musky Boy sold for a period of time? (laughs) Should just reach out. If anybody's got one of Elon Musk's flamethrowers, we would like one of them. Please. Um, I know it's not technically a flamethrower. I think it's technically classified as like a lighter. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if anyone's I mean, got one, they want to lend us. Yeah. Uh, other, but yeah, we'll 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 have we'll, we'll protect ourselves. Um, yes, also, course. some some white ash and sage and all the all that good Native American stuff that that is supposed to help. And with just just so you guys know, we. At least I, if I'm able to go, which hopefully I will. I don't see why reason why I shouldn't be able to. We'll be going outside. Oh, yes. We do not recommend other people do it, but at this point, we are professionals. And... We will be going outside. If there is a fleshy boy there, we're going after it. Uh, I'm going after it. We're going to try and document it. I'm going after it. He, oh, God. I hope for his sake there isn't one. Oh, he's, this show is going to be really hard to do without an editor. <laughs> he's gonna that fleshy boy is going to learn what it means to screw with the Aidens. I'll tell you what. But yes. Oh boy, we should switch to super chats. <laughs> yes. So it is eight oh three. So it is time for y'all to start begin or begin submitting questions. Um, what did Commander Canada ask? Yes. So uh, just as a reminder, super chats always get priority. Uh, we only go for another. A half hour half or so. Hour. So, to scroll back up to see what Commander Canada asked. And if you asked your question prior, uh, just re-ask it because it's going to be hard to go all the way back and find it. Um, so, this one's easy because it's a super chat. Um, <clears throat> okay, this is a, a fun one. And I guess it's something we could also find out firsthand when we go chasing after Fleshy Boys. Oh, no. Um, Commander Canada 213 asks... Is it possible to get a fleshy girl as a girlfriend because I'm down? No. Now, when you not, say... Not, and it's not because it would not be a a sexual thing. It's that these don't... <laughs> there theoretically can be both male and female Wendigo. Um, Wendigos. Uh, but a the, their only concern is eating you. Well, they they have no other they there is nothing else maybe, and no there are no euphemisms here no 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 I'm just gonna say maybe they just haven't found their type yet no 
please. <laughs> Do not try to mate with the flesh pedestrian. <laughs> That's and probably if you do, wear protection, because I don't want to know what comes out of that. Let's be fair. Looking at the history, a Nephilim mating with something it shouldn't have is probably what caused the flesh pedestrians. Yes, so don't, don't create more. an abomination just because you're curious. It's not a good plan. Okay. Curiosity does sometimes, in fact, kill the cat. And in this case, you are the cat. Don't become the cat. Whether it's that or Schrodinger's. It's just either option is not good. Anyway. Schrodinger's Wendigo. Schrodinger. <laughs> now we're getting into some spicy territory. Okay, uh, next question is from Crovy, yeah, Crovian class. Serious question, in parenthesis. Would it be theoretically possible to kill a fleshy boy using something like a phaser from Star Trek? Meme question, how much meth would it take to OD a fleshy boy? <laughs> so there were two questions there. You guys are really trying me. <laughs> um, I can answer if you'd like. Well, the first question was... The first question was... Phaser. I don't know how phaser technology in Star Trek works. Let's assume... I'm going under the assumption that phasers have some form of superheated plasma involved. And in that case, probably. Right? If it's some weird form of, like, extra-dimensional energy, then I don't know. Because I know they can be set to stun. Phasers release a beam of fictional subatomic particles called rapid nadion, which are then refracted through superconducting crystals. So it does appear that it's firing radioactive particles. I'm I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna say yeah. Well, in that case, it sounds like you're turning a Wendigo into Godzilla. Yeah. Um, is there radiation poisoning from phasers in Star Trek? Is that a thing they discussed? I ever? think the idea with them is that they kill you through... Immediate radiation sickness? No, th through burning. Like, I, I don't know. I never watched that much. I, I watched Next Generation a little bit when I was younger, but... Um, I mean, they're they're used as rifles and as anti-ship cannons. So I assume, I, I assume it would kill you one of two ways: either it would cook you alive, mm. in which case, yes, you could use it a Wendigo against a Wendigo, or it would be the um, the force of the particles hitting you would cause a shockwave that would kill you, in which case, I don't think it would kill a Wendigo. Oh, so kind of like a. So if 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 it kills you by superheating your organs. Yes. yes. If it kills you through um, trauma, no. So thermal, yes. Kinetic, no. Yes. Okay. And his secondary. Although, question, if you hit something with enough kinetic energy, it does become thermal. There is a. You can slap a chicken slap hard enough. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, I want to see that in a Superman comic. Because if there's anybody that can do it, it's him. Anyway. Um, so his second question was, how much meth would it take to OD a fleshy boy? Dude, I don't know. The The Germans gave a lot of meth to their soldiers. There's a story of uh, a... God, I think he was a Finnish soldier mm. fighting for the Germans. Or no. I, I think it was a Finnish soldier fighting for the Germans during World War II mm. who, uh, when they were out on patrol, they, they gave all soldiers in the German military uh, meth-laced chocolate 
and you were supposed to eat like one bar, or not one bar, but like one piece of a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he got separated from his unit. He was tired. He needed to find them, and he didn't have any other food. So he he, he was like he didn't know how much of the bar to eat. So he ate the whole bar. Um, and apparently he was awake for like six days, and just kept going. And eventually they found him. I'm surprised he didn't just immediately overdose. It's surprising he didn't die, but if you could... I mean, if a human can take that much meth... But but that was also ingested. It was also medically dosed. Like, I don't know. But that's the thing. But also, how would you administer the meth to a a fleshy boy? My assumption is it would be kind of like a a trank dart gun. Like, that sounds like the easiest way to do it without dying. That's assuming that it's skin yeah. Can be I mean, I penetrated. I don't know the. I I don't know how to dose meth. Um, For anybody who knows how to dose meth out there, give us an answer. Yeah, but uh, again, given that the the lore suggests they can only be killed with uh, fire, or in some cases white ash, um, I, I would say meth probably would not kill them. Probably not. You, I I mean if. Basically, if you gave a Wendigo a human's lethal dose of meth, it would probably just make it even more dangerous. Yep. Kind of like Wendigos on meth, meth would be a sick sci-fi daytime film. <laughs> okay, ne- next question from Soupy Games. Aiden's, what is the superior candy? Candy? Yeah. Like, good question. As a kid on Halloween, I would always go for the Kit Kats. I would always trade for more Kit Kats. Okay. Solid. What about you? (coughs) That. Um, It rotates for me, to be honest with you. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind was uh, Three Musketeers back before they changed the formula. I don't know when exactly they did it. I don't know when exactly they did it, and it might be the nostalgia factor, because between 6th and 8th grade, like, my whole middle school would go, and some of the high school, would go to this ice skating rink in my town, and there'd be, like, 300 kids on the ice, and I, I would, like, skate around with a couple of friends of mine and just act silly. It was fun, but every, like, there, so there'd be, like, a halftime in the night where, like, they'd turn the lights back on and the music, like, down so everybody would, like, go get off the ice cause they could, so they could clean it, and there was, like, a snack place upstairs <coughs> and I just remember every Friday I'd get a Sprite and a Three Musketeers I mean because like it took too long to get like the fries and stuff like that I just wanted it now and they were great but then like 7th or 8th grade they changed the formula of the Three Musketeers so that filling stuff had like more chocolate in the mixture and it was just like too much chocolate it just wasn't a good balance anymore because the exterior chocolate coating balanced out the flavor of the like Whatever that is in the middle, I don't nougat. know. Nougat. Nougat. The nougat uh, in the middle. So, that's... I think it's nougat. Probably. So, I'm, I still enjoy Three Musketeers, but back when they were more balanced, I, I liked them more. But, yeah. Too many Musketeers now. Oh, here we go. Oh, 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 oh. Brandon Midkiff is about to... End, he's, he's trying to end our friendship right now. Okay. Who is the better Aiden? I want you to both to debate. Better, better at being an Aiden. I no, I think it's just, or just better, just better. Um, well, I'm taller. 
This is a fact. I'm five six. He's five nine. Nine. Um. You are currently stronger. I yeah. I bench more. Yes. Um, at the moment. Let's see, I. I think I was the last to have any sort of relationship with our mutual ex-girlfriend. Define any form of relationship. Any form of relationship. This is a family-friendly show. Fair. (laughs) Um, Yeah, probably. Because y'all were in... Y'all were in much closer proximity. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we... and when he says R, we don't mean at the same time. No, I he, dated her, and then he dated her. And then I, I, I dated her. He, no, he dated her, I dated her, he dated her, I dated her, he dated her. No, not that many. Was it not that many? No, I All dated right. her, then She's probably dated. watching the show, too. Yeah. Hi. Sorry, we won't say your name. Yeah, no, we won't. Um, but. Um, I dated her for, like, I think about on and off for two years, and then they dated, and then we, she and I tried again. It just didn't really work. And then I guess you guys dated again? I didn't know you guys dated again after that. There was a period in college where we were considered, and then, Fair yeah, enough. it was right. it'll, it'll, a long story. But uh, let's see. Um, I, I, I have, I, like, three points on you here. I think I've been in more long-term relationships. That's oh, been, I've been... All of my long-term relationships have lasted longer than your relationships. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> um, let's see. I... Uh, I have 475,000 TikTok followers. You do. <laughs> I have not tried on TikTok. I can read. Fuck, he got me. <laughs> All right, we've, cl- <laughs> we've decided it. He is the <laughs> I'm older than you two. Yes, you are. He's got, I think he's got all the points at this point. Oh, I have a boating license. Ah, oh, damn. That... <laughs> See, that's better because of the implication. Yeah. It's it's the fun little <laughs> options. Oh well, I, I, I'll give you one here. He lives out like on his own. Oh yeah, it's true. Like he, this um, is his apartment. I'm, yeah. I'm still at home at the moment, so I, I think that brings me on like two notches. Yeah, to be uh, honest with you, you built your own guitar. I did. That was cool. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't do that. You're also better at playing guitar than I am. But you're a better singer than I am. Yeah, that's fair. I love how this just went from. He so Brendan tried us to tried to get us to debate now which we're just one was better. Each other. Yeah, now we're giving each other points. <laughs> this is our friendship essentially. It's like no, 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 no. You, you do have a thick, juicy ass. Yeah, but so do you. Good point. Yeah, I'll give just, it's a, it's a, it's a tie on that just, one. Just you know, wagon train over here. Just absolute dump truck over there. <laughs> <laughs> this is only this is only adding <laughs> to the shit. Only, you have only made us stronger, Brendan. Yes. Right, you can try next? to separate us, but there's nothing that we haven't gone through already. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Aviva Jane, this looks like a legitimate question. Um, why are the fleshy ones so afraid of dogs? And question two, what are y'all's favorite bad sci-fi movie and only bad ones and only bad ones minus Trump? You stole mine, Aviva! I love Tremors so much. It's such a good Have you seen it? I don't think so. Um, or we're going to watch it together. But I can point. very easily tell you my favorite bad sci-fi movie. Please do. Uh, it is FDR American Badass. I've not even heard of that. It's one. on Amazon Prime, and it is a movie where FDR fights Nazi werewolves. Oh, it, what's it rated? I don't remember. It's terrible. It's like SNL quality. Okay, Pep, uh, Jiv, anybody, Alex, anybody who are the mods in there, do me a favor. Look and see what the rating is on that movie, or like if it's if it's R, as long as there's not like. Let me know if it's viable to watch on the Discord, because if it is, <laughs> I want to with everybody, because that sounds hilarious. Anyway. Ooh, also, Rubber. Have you seen Rubber? I haven't. 
you got to see rubber. All right, so we're going to do rubber if that's viable. Tremors is definitely viable. We're definitely watching that. Uh, might save that for more around Halloween time because, yeah. you know, it's just you know, it's great. I love Tremors with a passion. It stars Kevin Bacon, uh, Fred Ward, I think. The guy who plays the dad on uh, Family Matters, I think that's the show, um, is just like this all-American. Like, There's literally a scene in which they a monster gets in their basement and they just... It pans to a wall of guns. <laughs> and they just go one after another after another. And they just do their best to get rid of it. It's hilarious. Anyway, so the legitimate question she asked first was, first was, why are fleshy ones so afraid of dogs? I don't know where you got that information, but it's not true. <laughs> I That's, was going to say, that didn't sound familiar. It's not. They're not. Um, don't. They're not afraid of dogs. <laughs> I don't know who told you that. Okay, next question is... Oh, slid me down. i got to scroll back up where... Hang on, sorry. Oh, do you think that a Nephilim that turned into a god, in quotes, died and went to another world? It's a very vague question. Yeah, um, I feel like you can go pretty much anywhere with that. I think if... I think if you were to have a, a Nephilim die, um, given given that they are half human, they would probably be subject to they would have they would have a human soul, which would mean they would be subject to the same kind of um, afterlife as other human beings. I would say. Uh, I mean, it really depends on what tradition you're looking at. If you're looking at Judeo-Christian, then Nephilim that died would probably go to heaven or hell, um, or whatever. The, the the Jewish afterlife system is a bit different than the Christian. It's, lo- it's a lot less defined. Um, and the Jewish uh, negative afterlife is, is more nothingness than it is eternal hellfire, uh, whereas the Jewish positive afterlife is... Uh, more like, I guess, kind of the fields of Elysium um, in in Greek mythology. Whereas even even heaven is so when you it, when you get into Christian heaven, it's described as being indescribable. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it really depends on what tradition you go with. But if you were to have it is using Nephilim specifically because they are Judeo Christian. Um, I think that you would probably see them having the same afterlife potential as human beings, considering that there isn't really any suggestion of an afterlife for angels that die. So yeah, I think that's my answer is they would probably go to heaven or hell. Okay. Um, all right. So the next question is from Derek Herman because he super chatted four ninety nine. Thank, Thank you, you very Derek. much. Uh, he says FDR American badass is great. And then his question was, would night vision help with hunting fleshy boys? I mean, to the same extent, it would help with hunting any human being um, or any animal. It's going to make it easier for you to see. Uh, I wouldn't suggest hunting fleshy boys, though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to it's not like they're going to be invisible in the night vision. So it's it's going to help to the extent that anything can help. Fair. All right. So Commander Canada two one three did another super chat of five dollars, and uh, he is asking. I think for clarification, because I can't remember if it was him last time, but I think it's just because people are curious. Um, 
Is it possible to get a fleshy girl as a girlfriend because you can get a muzzle and gloves? Also, who said it's sexual? So, so I think I think he's he's clarifying the sense that he doesn't necessarily mean that it's for anything sexual. He just wants to know if you can get a fleshy girl as a girlfriend. The, the answer is still no. It's going to eat you. It's not. It's not. It's 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 not the same thing as like a Twitch streamer with cat ears on her headphones. Yeah, we're not talking about like a Discord kitten here. We're talking yeah. about a, you know, supernatural apex predator that wants to devour your flesh. Yes. So I mean, if you're into that, I guess you could define that relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend. I feel like you have to. There has to be a sense of mutual like consent in. Yeah, that. I don't think that the flesh pedestrian would consider you its boyfriend. Yeah, like I feel like you have to establish mutually that you look at each other as boyfriend and girlfriend first, and I don't think you can do that with a being that's incapable of expressing that. I think what you're expressing interest in is a waifu. Although I guess if it can mimic human voices, does it have the capability of speaking language intelligently? Beyond beyond this whole question of girlfriend and boyfriend stuff, but like just genuinely, like, do you think they have the capacity to speak English or any language. I think it's more like a... I, I think the idea behind it is that they have... Their, their mental faculties have degraded over millennia to the point where they no longer are capable of forming coherent thoughts, but they can mimic... Voices. So my question. So on it's that, more like though, a parrot. So my my question on that though. So would they have to hear that voice first? So essentially, when yeah, they, they take, have to hear that voice first. So when they take somebody, they're essentially only mimicking the things that that person said while yeah, being or taken. Or perhaps, per, in some, you you could theorize that if it has been particularly successful in hunting then it has not only learned how to mimic voices, but might have also learned fra to mimic phrases that it knows works. Mm. But it wouldn't be like the way we use language. It would be that it, it knows... It might have heard one person say one phrase, and then it might repeat that phrase in another person's voice. Yeah, that makes sense. But it wouldn't necessarily you know, be able to say, hi, I need to use the bathroom, because it needs to use the bathroom. <laughs> it, it might... It, I mean, I get... You get the point. You get what yes, I'm trying to say. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the next question uh, is from Kat Rose, who super chatted $5. Thank oh, you very thank much, you. Kat. Uh, she says, Hi there, I asked a question a little further up about mirror lore through the various cultures and uh, what are your thoughts on them? Uh, by the way, loving the podcast. Uh, a big smiley face. Yeah, so mirrors, um, mirrors are often seen as uh, being g gateways to other dimensions um, in certain cases. Uh, for example... There's a lot of suggestions in a lot of folklore that if you have two mirrors face each other, then it creates a portal for demons to come through. Um, so if you've ever been to a mall, like a changing room, probably probably not a good place to be if you're afraid of demons. Um, but yeah, I think I think to a large extent that probably comes from a more psychological place rather than a an actual supernatural occurrence. Um, because there is something a little uncanny about looking at your reflection um, and the fact that it is not, uh, you know, 
if you raise your right hand in a mirror, then you're going to see your what appears to be your left hand raising. Um, so it does look like it's kind of an alternate invention, and I think that just over time people were very superstitious. We had the same superstitions about photographs capturing your soul. Um, so I think it's definitely very interesting, but I don't think that it's quite in the same realm as a lot of the other stuff we're talking about here. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I, I can definitely do some more research into some specifics about various cultures and what they what they have believed in the past about mirrors. But the general idea was that uh, mirrors were a, a gateway into an, another world, another dimension, uh, often a dimension where things were not very good. And that if you just were looking into a mirror, it wouldn't, it generally isn't that big a deal. But if you have two mirrors facing each other, then you're, you're asking for trouble because you're creating a way for the, whatever is in the mirror to get out essentially. Interesting. But so, there's also a lot of mirror lore that is about specific things like Bloody Mary. Mm. Um, you know, if you, if you say Bloody Mary in the mirror three times, then supposedly she can come out of the mirror and attack you. So there's also the, the thought that mirrors can be used to contain spirits as well as to summon them. Solid. All right, so just uh, going down, continuing in chronological order, because I had to scroll up. I'm not exactly sure where I am. Uh, but just so you guys know, we're approaching 8.30. We might go a little over 8.30, but not much 830 longer. 8.30 is probably going to be Yeah, it's, it's about where off. we'll end it. We might go a couple minutes over, but that'll be pretty much the cutoff. So if we haven't, I go in chronological order, the question's asked. So if we haven't seen yours yet and you really want it to be uh, you know, answered, super chatted to us, it, that always gets priority. So you know, we'll go for the next like five minutes or so. Um, and then we'll wrap it. And then real quick, just uh, for people to know, will we be in general campfire or cabin today? Uh, let's, let's do general. Okay. So then after this, we'll be in the general cha uh, voice chat of the Discord for about a half hour or so. Uh, so you can catch us there, but we will continue to uh, answer whatever questions are left within the time that we have. So uh, we have another one from Cat Rose, Super Chat, okay. $5. Thank you again. Thank you. Um, sorry, one more. As time seems to be more of a construct, thoughts on past lives, predestined, or predestined outcomes, and et cetera? Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's just getting to a point where you're talking about uh, religion to a large extent. Here's my, my issue with past lives is that um, there are far too many people now mm -hmm. to adequately account for past for, for reincarnation um, unless you had some sort because more people are born than die um, which which would imply then that are are there currently more people who have died in human history than who are currently alive is that true that's what I'm saying more people do, oh, are yeah. born than die that is a fact so but they eventually die they eventually die but for every person that's born that another person like 1.15 people are born um True, for a person it's, that it's, dies but my, my point is we're rapidly accelerating to a point where we're going to have more people born there will be more people who have been born than have died mm -hmm. um which would make it impossible for everyone on earth to have lived a past life yeah there would have to be new there would have to be new consciousnesses if there can be new consciousness then you know, how often does that happen as opposed to reincarnation and why and what would the purpose of that be? Yeah. Um, so, so I lean towards the side of there's, there's not reincarnation, um, that there's not 
that, that every that every consciousness is a new consciousness, mm. that every soul is a new soul. Um, at least personally, but uh, as what, what was the other half of the question? It was um, uh, uh, the thoughts on sorry, uh, thoughts on past lives, predestined outcomes. Oh yeah, so and predestination. Um, I, I just think predestination. It, it really depends on how you're defining it. If you were to create a computer program that had all of the data, say in two minutes, you launched a computer program that knew everything that had ever happened up until two minutes from now. It could probably pre accurately predict the rest of the future um, if it were sufficiently powerful. A sufficiently powerful AI could could take the information we already have and use it to perfectly predict the future. I don't think that's the same as predestination. Um, I think predestination is that the computer programmed the future, not that the pro computer predicted the future. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important difference. I don't think it's purely semantic. And I think that, uh, you know, if you go into, um, you know, there are a lot of cultures that didn't believe in predestination at all. That, you know, every, and, and that you could actually change your outcomes. There were some that did. For example, the Greeks had the fates. Um, the Norse had the Norns. But th there are plenty of cultures that believed that you could learn your fate and then actively work to change it. There were those who believed that by actively working to change it, you would actually self-fulfill. Um, so I think that to an extent, uh, it, it really depends. If you, have, if you believe in the idea that future outcomes can be predicted, sure. But I don't think that there is some consciousness out there um, deciding now d deciding when someone is born what the outcome of their life will be uh, i think if you look at it from a creationist standpoint that's pointless why would you create what what, what would be the interest of creating a world where you already know what's going to happen um or you have planned what's going to happen i uh, you know that's that, that's kind of the, the Calvinist look at it is you know oh at, from the moment you're born God knows when you're going to die He knows everything you're going to do in your life and He, you know, that it is what it is. I don't think that makes a ton of sense uh, as as a Methodist. Um, I, I look at it as God God is all knowing and God is all powerful, but God has also granted humans free will and therefore um, we can perhaps sometimes surprise Him. I uh, I believe that you know the in, in my case, I believe that the creator knows the, the way we're going to, knows the end, um, and that there's a plan, but that we can veer off of that plan, um, and us veering off of that plan would then affect other people, and I believe he has the power and the knowledge to course correct if he wants, but I think that in, for, in my particular faith, I believe that God created the world, he has a plan for everybody, but at the same time, there is Satan, and Satan's job is to get you off of that plan. Because God's plan for everybody, when you're born, is that you will come into the fold and eventually, or you know, find faith, find grace, and be admitted into heaven. And Satan's Satan's whole goal is to stop that, is to get you off that path. Um. So not to get too preachy. That's just that's just my my particular religious beliefs is that. God's plan for everybody is that everyone will be redeemed and go to heaven. Um, but that he gave human beings free will 
and that we can therefore fall off of that plan. And it's our responsibility as human beings with one another to help each other get back onto the path. And whether you, whether you believe in, in God or uh, the, the Christian God or another God or several gods, um, I, I do think that's a good way to live your life. Either way is, you know, if you see somebody falling off of the, the righteous, the virtuous, moral path, um, it, you know, it's, it is good to try and be a resource to help them get back on track. And I don't necessarily mean that as in, you know, if you have different morals from somebody, you should force them to conform to yours. But if you see somebody falling into, say, alcoholism, then it is your responsibility as a person to, to be there and try and help them get back on their feet and get, get back to a, a good path in life. Um, so I hope that didn't get too preachy, but no, I think you're fine. Yeah. That's, that's my answer to that. <coughs> All right. So we have one more super chat and it is eight thirty three. So this will probably be our last okay. question. Super chat is from Sega for four ninety nine. Thank you very much. Thank Sega. you, Sega. Uh, he says, loving the podcast thoughts on the stoned ape theory. The stoned ape theory? Yes. I got to look that up really quickly to make sure I am thinking about the correct thing. <laughs> I feel like there's, there's like three different ways that that could go. <clears throat> ah, this is exactly what I thought it was. Okay. So what is it? Yeah, so the, in very short, stoned ape theory, Terrence McKenna, um... The idea that uh, psilocybin mushrooms were the evolutionary catalyst for human consciousness. That whatever the, the precursor to humans was from an evolutionary standpoint, um, it, it was their consumption of magic mushrooms that led them to develop a higher consciousness and made them more intelligent. And therefore, it allowed for the, the most intelligent ones to evolve more successfully and breed more successfully. And that's how you got higher consciousness. How you got sentience was through the use of magic mushrooms. Mm. So stoned apes are what created consciousness. Mm. I think if you're an evolutionary biologist and you don't believe in any sort of divine intervention, that's probably your best bet for a way to look at it. Well, in a sense that that, event yeah. occurring could be a example of divine intervention. It could be, but here's here's where I'm looking at it. Um it so and it falls back into something that I talked about in one of my TikTok videos. I human beings naturally produce DMT. It could be that we're the only primates that do that. Or the only primates that do that in enough of a dose for it to matter. Hmm. Um and there is the, the suggestion that when Moses was speaking to the burning bush, speaking to God, uh, the bush was an acacia bush, and acacia is naturally rich in DMT, so he was inhaling just obscene amounts of DMT, which allowed him to speak to God. And a lot of secular uh, biblical historians view that as, oh, it was the DMT. Moses was speaking to himself through the DMT or whatever the DMT hallucination was. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, no, the DMT was the vector by which he spoke to God. So, um, I mean, in, in a sense, yeah, I'm all on board with the stone ape theory. It's just, I don't, I, I think that the DM, I think it was within us, not that they started eating the mushrooms 
and that made them sentient. I think that God put the the DMT in us so we could communicate with him. Um, and that's why when people smoke DMT, they have experiences with higher beings and divinity and stuff like that. Um, but if you, if you were an evolutionary biologist, I think that that does make the most sense as to why one, one series of primates specifically managed to develop that higher consciousness would be because of the use of, of psilocybin. Mm. Um, you know, it answers a lot of questions, um, obviously yet to be proven, but I think it's the theory that makes the most sense because the other theory is just, well, it worked for one. Eventually, eventually we had a mutation. And I just, uh, you know, the, there's so much randomness involved in that that it does make sense that, you know, if if you had a clan of whatever, I can't remember what directly preceded uh, homo, homo sapiens, because uh, there's two Homo sapiens. There's Homo sapiens Neanderthalus and Homo sapiens sapiens. So whatever was before Homo sapiens, whatever the common ancestor there was, was, that that would first, be the, that would have to be the one. I believe first was Homo erectus, then there was Homo halibus. Um, I'm not sure of the direct lineage or if there was something between. But those homo weren't halibus. Homo sapiens, I don't think. They were not. <coughs> they weren't Homo sapiens. They were what preceded Homo sapiens. I believe Homo erectus was first. And then Homo halibus came after Homo erectus. Because I believe Homo halibus was the first thing to use tools. If I'm remembering correctly. Which I may not be. Yeah, but you also got to remember this isn't a linear thing. No, I know. Homo erectus was not pre-Homo sapiens, supposedly. Um, I believe it was. I don't think that they were... I don't think that they came before, yeah. but I don't think that they were a direct ancestor. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, is, yeah, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, no, I'm speaking purely chronological, uh, let's see, not yeah. necessarily so, biological. Homo, it goes uh, Homo habilis, Homo ergaster, Homo erectus. Okay, I had them flip. Uh, Heidelbergensis. This is 500,000 years ago. Uh, 400,000 years, early humans begin to hunt with spears. Um Older surviving early human footprints are left by three people who scrambled down the slopes of the volcano in Italy in 325,000 years ago. Um, 230,000 years ago, Neanderthals, our own species, Homo sapiens. But what genus? Homo sapiens. Neanderthalensis. What is the... What's the taxonomy there? Neanderthals are hominids in the genus Homo and generally classified as a distinct species. Homo or Neanderthals, some species as Homo sapiens. So it's the species level is sapiens. Yeah. Um, genus would be Homo. So there's so whatever would have been. Hmm. What's between genus and species again? Nothing. Nothing's between genus and species? Nope. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. The genus is homo. The species is sapien. (laughs) So it would have to be the genus homo where the... 
um, the use of psilocybin would have had to come into it. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes sense because it is only the the homo genus that uses tools. Mm. Uh, well, it used to be. Used to be. <laughs> now... Um, what, what, what specific... It's chimpanzees. Yeah, chimps have now entered the Stone Age. Yeah, theoretically. There's evidence that chimps have entered the Stone Age. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to answer the question, I think if you're going to look at it from the standpoint of an evolutionary biologist, from a scientific standpoint, I think that the Stone Age theory that the psilocybin consumption makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it would be hard to test it because you would basically have to take a bunch of chimps and feed them psilocybin yep. for several generations. Uh, and, and I think just I think that would just go really badly. I don't think there's any instance in which making chimps more intelligent is a good plan for humanity. I feel like there's a few movies about that. I God, I really do feel like it. Yeah, uh, but it definitely would account for the the sudden change um, and the the fact that one genus then went and just exploded into intelligence by comparison. Because yeah. um, you know even a even an upgrade from probably like, you know, the the fifty IQ that a Australopithecus might have to you know the eighty eighty five that a Homo erectus might have is is massive. Um. So yeah, I mean, it, I I do think it's a viable theory. I would love, I on the one hand, I would love to see it tested. Yeah, I would love to see what happened if you gave chimpanzees. If you isolated a group of chimpanzees and fed them magic mushrooms every day for like three generations, I want to I want to know if by the end of that they would be smarter. The only retort I have to that is to quote a well-known chaotician. Uh huh. You were so preoccupied with whether or not you could. exactly. That's my that's my con- that's why I say I'm should. not sure. Yeah. Like on the one hand, I think that would be a really cool experiment. On the other hand. I feel like that would be a really bad idea. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but anyway, it is eight forty two. So, but that, that answers that. I think that sufficiently answers that question. I think that more than sufficiently answers that question. All right. Oh boy. Today was a very dense, covered a lot of topics today. Podcast. It's a very scientific podcast. It was, it was very technical and theoretical. And and (laughs) if we haven't proven that we at least know something, (laughs) I'm not sure what else you need. Uh, all right. Uh, are there any more super chats? No, no, okay. that was it. All right. Well, then, uh, in that case, I'm um, just gonna kind of round off round off the show here. Uh, make sure to follow Aiden and myself at the Aiden Mattis and Director Aiden on pretty much whatever platform you feel like. Yeah, anything uh, worth following us on, that's where you'll yeah, find us. Yeah. Um, if you like our <coughs> our podcast, if you like our YouTube videos, if you like our story time, any of that, you know, the the most important thing you can do is share. Uh, that that share function really just boosts the algorithm more than you know. Um, so you know, share share this with your friends, share it with your parents, share it with your ex girlfriend. In fact, share it with your ex girlfriend constantly. Just annoy and uh, just bug bug the hell out of your ex girlfriend. Share it with, with it. your yeah. Wendigo girlfriend if, if exactly. You, um, you know, just, just harass people with this podcast over um. and over again until they fully <laughs> understand that it's worth watching. Yeah, um, <laughs> or at least. Share it on Facebook or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, if if you still use Facebook, yeah. share us on MySpace. Um, yeah, we are on MySpace. We're uh, not on. You MySpace. can find the podcast now on Napster. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> if you go to uh, I, I think I think you put it in the description, right? Yes. The Aiden Mattis dot yes. card. So if you click on that uh, link in the description, Aiden Mattis dot card dot co. That is uh, kind of our, our new Linktree because Linktree got mad at me and told me I was abusing their terms of service and then didn't tell me why. Uh, so we built a new one. But anyway, on that, you can find our Patreon, our merch store, Instagram, uh, the Lore Lodge email, all that if you want to get in contact with us. Uh, if you have you know, your own paranormal experiences you would like shared as part of story time or you would like our opinion on them, go ahead and, and shoot those over to us uh, at, at that email address. Um, you know, if you want to support us, help us pay rent, follow us on Patreon. Um, there's again, tiers from $1 through $25. Uh, at the end of this month, the $25 patrons from this month will get their lore master shirts, uh, sent out. Um, once that first cycle goes through and, uh, yeah, I, I do encourage everybody to go check out the merch store. Uh, my, one of my good friends, Norman keys designed the, the lore lodge logo. It's that, that skull with the cabin on it. Um, you know, so shout out to him for, for that help. Cause that was awesome. Yeah, it was sweet. And we have more designs and more merch coming soon. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we all, we're going to take a, a brief break and then we will hop into the discord. Oh, the discord link is also in that card in thing. Tree, yeah. Um, yeah. So do you want to, uh, say nine? We'll try and be there by nine. Yeah. We'll try and be in the, in the discord by nine. Yep. All right. Uh, once again, I'm Maiden Mattis. I'm Aiden Thornberry. And thanks for stopping by the Lore Lodge. We'll see you next time.